good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. I want to welcome you to Seacoast. My name is Josh Surratt, and I'm the campus pastor here at the Long Point campus. And uh, really excited about the opportunity to share with you this weekend. Especially want to welcome those of you uh, that are joining us at another location. Maybe you're in the warehouse or the chapel uh, or in one of our campuses in the Lowcountry or Upstate or North Carolina, Georgia, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we are really glad to have you guys with us. Speaking of the campuses, I wanted to kind of, before we jump into the message, uh, share with you something that's going on, something we can celebrate together that's happening at all of our campuses campuses with the Seaco Scholarship. So take a minute and look at this quick video. The Seaco Scholarship is really important because most scholarships are based off of academics or athletics and this scholarship is unique in the fact that it chooses you off of students who believe in Jesus and are following God's path for our life. Winning this scholarship really encouraged me um, to pursue my dream and really felt like God was confirming his call for my life to enter the field of education. God is calling me to plant churches, um, house churches, to create a movement around the nation. As a nurse, I one day hope to work in orphanages to show kids that they're loved and that they're not alone. I'm going into nursing to form a relationship with the patients, and I love the environment that a Christian hospital has to share with everyone. It's important for young Christians to realize that people are supporting them in pursuing their goals. Winning the Seeker Scholarship was such a blessing in my life because it was just another open door showing that I'm walking in what the Lord's intended for my life. Having the Seacoast Scholarship has given me a huge sense of relief. I want to thank Seacoast as a whole and the Seacoast Scholarship donors for really believing in me and knowing that if I'm doing God's will, they're going to support me. So let's give it up to our Seco Scholarship winners. Pretty cool. For those of you that uh, may not know what the scholarship's all about, a couple of people in our church, just generous people, had this vision to uh, help some Seacoast students who wanted to honor God and pursue their education uh, with a scholarship. So there's no strings attached. It's a great opportunity. Uh, it is available for men, too. You may not have known that based on the video, but... Um, so dudes, I don't know where you're at, <clears throat> but let's step it up, man, and, uh, and do this. It's open uh, for applications right now, so you can go to the city and apply, and uh, we'd love to see uh, who God's going to bring in and, uh, and bless with this next year. So uh, yeah, take advantage of it. Speaking of education, uh, I got a, a great education, and um, one of the most important lessons I ever learned was in the third grade. Uh, and our family had just moved to Charleston from northern Illinois, and we had been in a really bad car accident. Some of you may have heard about that. Pastor Greg's talked about it in the past. Uh, but my brother, older brother, was especially injured, uh, had, was in a coma for about a week and had to have some surgery. And after he had surgery on his, on his head, uh, he came home and was just kind of getting back involved and trying to slowly integrate back into the family life and the neighborhood and came outside to play with us uh, one afternoon. And some of the neighborhood bullies uh, got a hold of him and uh, were picking on him, trying to pick a fight with him, uh, began to throw rocks at him. And so as a younger brother, uh, this was a very difficult situation for me because I had to determine what, what was I going to do? I mean, how am I going to handle this situation? Uh, and I had a choice to make. It was really actually a pretty simple choice for me because it's my brother. He's, you know, not able to fend for himself. So if I side with him on this particular fight, there's no way we're going to win. And so I sided with the neighborhood bullies and started throwing rocks at him too. And, um, so my dad and I had a chance to talk about that decision a little bit later and um, he, sh he shared with me a lesson that I've never forgotten. He said, you know what, Josh, 
we are a family and we're Surratt's and I don't care what other families do, but Surratt's stick together because we're a team. And he said, you know, sometimes even as a team, you're, you're going to have to, we're going to have to lose some fights together. Uh, but it doesn't matter if we lose an, an individual fight, we're going to win the, the big picture as a team. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know what, had, had I sided with Jason in that uh, particular fight, we probably would have gotten our butts kicked, honestly. We would have gotten stoned uh, and like with rocks, that sense of the word. And um, <laughs> some of you went there just quickly, and so I had to <laughs> clarify. But, but we would have lost that battle, but it probably would have done a lot of good for our relationship and for the unity of our family. Uh, and it's been a few years, uh, but we're good now. Jason's forgiven me, and we're working some things out. Uh, but would you agree, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you had to lose something individually in order to uh, help the team win or to preserve the unity of the team? Because uh, unity is a big deal, isn't it? I mean, in our families, it's a big deal. It's a lesson that I'm trying to teach my kids that, man, we're, we're a family. We stick together. In business, you know, if a business is going to accomplish anything great, they're going to have to stick together and work together as a team. Football teams, big time. Some of you may have heard the story. Uh, New England Patriots were playing the uh, Jets in the playoffs this year. And uh, there was a little bit of trash talk going on, especially from the Jets team. And the Patriots coach pulled his team together and said, listen, guys, no one says a word. We're, just, we're not going to participate in the trash talk. Well, their best wide receiver... Uh, decided to divert from that a little bit, and he, he made some comments about the opposing team's coach. And what the coach of the Patriots did is he benched their best receiver for the start of that game because he knew that it may have cost the team a loss, which ultimately they did lose that game, but the unity of the team was way bigger than any individual win or loss. Unity is a huge deal. In order for our government to get anything done, you know, it's important for the president and the Congress to be able to work together not going very well right now on that particular front. But, uh, you know, in, in order for a church to accomplish the mission that God has called us to accomplish, we're going to have to learn how to, to work together and to have unity as a team. When there's unity, there's tremendous power and potential to get stuff done, to accomplish great mission. Tough part is it's tough to get along with everybody. How many have someone in your life that's hard to get along with? Okay, good. A few of you don't po- stop pointing. It's not, not, not important to do that. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to get along with everybody. I mean, you can, all of us are part of some team, whether it's a family deal or a, a, another team that you're part of, where there's probably somebody on the team that's tough to get along with. So we're in a series, and we've been talking about the DNA of joy. And today, uh, by the way, the series, we were going to do a four- or five-week series just going through each book of the Bible, of, uh, uh, book of chapter of Philippians. And as we've gotten into it, it's such a rich book uh, that we're going to extend the series. We're going to go about ten weeks and just study verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And this weekend, we're going to be looking at chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to open them up to Philippians chapter 2 or if you've got a smartphone. And this, this chapter is where Paul really deals with this issue of unity. This issue, he, he's talking to the church, and he's talking about how important it is that they be unified together. In fact, he lays out the goal for the church in verse 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. It says, guys, church... If you're going to accomplish everything that Jesus has set us out to accomplish, if the church at Philippi, if the church in Charleston, if the church in Columbia, wherever you happen to be, is going to accomplish everything that it needs to accomplish, if it's going to be a part of the mission of Jesus, we're going to have to agree with one another, work together wholeheartedly, have one mind and one 
purpose. So that's the goal. Well, how do you accomplish that? In the next few verses, Paul basically lays out about four different attitudes that we're going to have to be willing to lose as individuals in order for us to win as a team and accomplish the mission that God calls us to. So let's dive in. Uh, first, first, uh, ne- next verse, verse 3 starts, and he says, Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. I have to be willing to lose my ego. If we're going to win as a team, I've got to be willing to lose my ego. And this is hard because the society that we live in, you know, is very self-centered and self-focused society. If you turn on the TV and watch commercials, they're all about you and every decision that we make. What's the filter that most of us use for it? You know, what's in it for me? Or how is this going to impact me personally? I don't know about you guys, but I'm afflicted with this disease where I'm the when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm the only guy that's with me everywhere I go. And so I tend to be the center of my own universe. You know, everything is about me. And so when I walk into a restaurant, you know, my primary focus is how I'm going to be served and how I'm going to get what I need. You know, I tend to not really pay a lot of attention to the what's going on in the kitchen or what's going on maybe in the life of the server that's with me and work on this all the time. But I tend to be the center of my own universe. When I go to the grocery store, I went to the grocery store this week and my wife needed me to pick up some some kind of a lip balm, and so I have no idea where that is, and so I'm looking for it. It seemed like aisle 12 was where it should be, and so I went up and down this aisle probably six times, and then I went out and talked to somebody to register and said, hey, do you know where I can find this lip balm stuff? She goes, yeah, just aisle 12. Go look on aisle 12. I'm thinking, that doesn't help me. Yeah, I've been looking for... What I need you to do is stop whatever you're doing that's probably important and come with me and show me where it is. I didn't tell her that, but that's what I was thinking because that's just the way my mind works. Here's the challenge. That doesn't really line up well with what Paul talks about, especially what Jesus talks about in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Look what he says. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. He says, you know what? If you want to be a follower of me, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, we've got to be willing to lose our ego, give up our own needs, sacrifice them. We can never forget that the movement that we're a part of is way bigger than the part that we play in the movement. Got to be willing to check our ego. You know, it plays out in the church in a lot of different ways. You know, uh, one way, we are a church. God has blessed us to be able to reach many different campuses on many different states and cities. And so, the question when, when we think about making a major decision is not what's best for one campus. It's what's best for the whole church. What's God doing with the whole church? And you know, as the campus pastor here at the Long Point campus, I know one thing I would love to do is bust out the walls on either side of this thing and on the back. And let's go ahead and build like a, a four or 5,000 seat uh, worship center where we can all worship together, maybe do two services on the weekend and worship together in one, one body and one one day. Did I mention we would just do two services on the weekend? It would be so cool. You know, that would be, that'd be so great. We'd be able to reach more people, all that. But you know what? It's not about this campus. We're a church that's reaching people all over the state. And sometimes, and, and especially in this situation, there's, it's not necessarily the best decision to pour all of our resources into one campus when God's doing something way bigger than that across the state. You know, we're a church that has the privilege of serving many different generations from the crumb crunchers in the nursery to, you know, senior adults. We, we, God has just given us a, a multi-generational church, which means you know, the volume of music may not be what's best for you or me, but it's not about you or me. We've got to be willing to, to check our ego at the door, 
be willing to, you know, all kinds of decisions that, that aren't necessarily geared towards you or me or any one of us individual, but for the whole team and, and your marriage. You may be thinking, you know what? I know I'm right about this. Uh, I know that I probably should apologize, but I'm not going to because I'm right. And, I, and there have been times that you just know that you're right about something. But you know what? If you want to preserve the unity of your marriage, sometimes it's best to go ahead and apologize, to take a, a loss in that particular fight in order for, to pr- preserve the unity of a marriage. See, in a marriage, when one person wins, usually the marriage loses. And so we've got to be willing to do it. And on all of these, I'm not saying that in order to be a part of a team that God won't sometimes use you as a dissenting voice or you know, to bring up something. Obviously, that stuff happens. But as a whole, these are attitudes that we've got to be willing to lose. Got to be willing to lose our ego. Let's keep reading. Second thing he says is uh, Philippians 2.3. He says, don't live to make a good impression on others. Don't live to make a good impression on others. We have to be willing to lose our disguise. Lose our disguise. I told you we've been uh, working on potty training with our three-year-old, and we're kind of getting through that, and it's doing really well. I came home the other night, and he was playing a video game or doing something, and I couldn't help but notice that he had a little bit of a wet spot on his jeans. And so I said, hey, hey buddy, uh, is there anything you need to tell Daddy about? How's, how's everything going, been going today? Oh, no, Daddy, we're good. Everything's been going really good. Okay, okay. Well, hey, you know, we've been working really hard on staying clean and dry. How's that going for you today? Oh, really good, Daddy. It's been a, such a good day on that. Hmm. So I was like, all right, Miles, listen. I see there's a little spot on your jeans. You know what's, what's going on with that? So he looks down, and he turns around and faces the couch, and he said, Daddy, there's no spot on my jeans. <laughs> Thinking, what was his deal? You know, part of it is he, he didn't want to forfeit the, the price because the deal is if he stays clean and dry for a few uh, days at a time there's this tyrannosaurus rex from walmart that costs like four bucks but he's so excited about it so that's the leverage that we've been using here and uh, so he didn't want to forfeit that right and then he also i'm sure was a little bit embarrassed i mean no one likes to walk around in wet pants right and so he's a little embarrassed and probably probably didn't want to disappoint his daddy because we've been working on it so hard but none of those things changed the fact that he needed a change of pants. You know, his, his pants were still wet, whether he acknowledged it or not. And I feel like the church, sometimes we're a lot like Miles, aren't we? I mean, we come in and, you know, we, we may have issues going on. We may have financial problems. We may have health issues. But, hey, how you doing? Man, I'm so good. Things are great. Things are going awesome. We, we do that so well. We kind of wear a disguise. And I'm not saying we should have like a fatalistic attitude and, you know, wear all of our problems on our sleeves, but we're really good at wearing masks. We're really bad at telling the truth in church, especially in men's groups. I mean, I've been in men's groups for a long time and we'll kind of get going around the circle and, hey, let's talk about our marriages. How's our marriage going? And a couple of guys will share and, you know, it's, man, marriage is going awesome, man. It is so good. I'm treating my wife so, man, she thinks I am the king. I mean, this this is so awesome. Here's the problem, guys. Our wives tell each other about their husband's wet pants. And so we might as well put it out there, right? We might as well go ahead and lay it out there. You know, be real with each other. And Paul's saying, hey, don't live to to impress others. When we do that, we're like a bunch of, you know, people walking around with wet pants and, and trying to deny that anything's going on. He said, don't try to make an impression on other people. You know, if the church is going to accomplish what it needs to accomplish, we've got to have this authentic community, this authentic relationships, uh, growing and developing with one another. So got to be, be willing to lose our disguise, lose our disguise. Let's keep reading. 
the, the verse continues, uh, verse 3, and he says, uh, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. The third thing we have to be willing to lose is our arrogance. So the third attitude that we've got to embody in order to have a unified team is we've got to lose our arrogance. You know, you may realize by my physical stature that I was an athlete in high school, or maybe not. Uh, but I, I was, and, and one of the teams that I remember, the, the, the best memory that I had as an athlete was my junior varsity 10th grade season in basketball. See, we had a great team. We didn't have a lot of great athletes, but together we came together and we had a great team. Uh, just a bunch of above average athletes that played really, really well together. We passed the ball when we needed to pass it, and we ended up beating some teams that were, frankly, a lot better than us on paper, but we ended up winning a lot of games. In fact, we won our regular season championship, and then I think we lost in the playoffs. But it was a great team, and we had every reason to be confident going into our junior and se senior seasons. So we not only were all coming back together, we already knew how to work together, but we were adding three players, all of whom were college basketball scholarship material. Well, it didn't quite work out as I had hoped. See, arrogance became a problem on our team. Uh, something about having different egos, and it started slowly. You wouldn't really recognize it at first, but eventually the whole team was kind of fighting to get their shots in. We were all trying to pad our stat line so that we could be bragging about how many points we scored or how many you know, steals we had or assists we had, and, and it just began to destroy the team. And on paper, we looked really good our junior and senior season, but in reality, we were terrible. In fact, we didn't have a winning season either of those two years. I would say we were the most arrogant, losing, sub-500 basketball team ever to play. What was the problem? For us, it was arrogance. It was arrogance. In fact, our season ended, my senior season ended, our last regular season game, finished with two players, one of them being myself, getting into a fight on the basketball court during the game, total embarrassment, spilled into our locker room, tore apart the team. Our team went from a united, awesome, playing together team to a divided, divisive, uh, at each other's throat group of guys. What happened? Well, it was arrogance. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in a team. Maybe it was a, a team you worked with in, in your job and uh, you, all, you all understood the mission of, of, of the task at hand. You all you had great, competent people on the team, but, but on paper you look good, but in actuality it never really panned out. Maybe it's in your family, you know. Everyone seems like they're, they're great, but you just don't work together as a family and there's just issues showing up. It may be a sign that, that, that there's an arrogance problem. Philippians 2.13 says that we are to, uh, in humility, consider others as better than ourselves. In fact, the Bible has a lot of really harsh things to say about arrogance and pride. Humility is this, it's a tough concept though, isn't it? I mean, what does it mean to be humble? I don't think it's that we think of ourselves, uh, think, think less of ourselves, or we deny that we have gifts and talents and that we're created by God, but it's that we think of ourselves less. It's we think of others more than ourselves. You know, uh, James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, God has some pretty harsh things to say about prideful people. In fact, think about some of the things that you hate. I know I hate some things. I mean, I hate tomatoes. I honestly believe that tomatoes are res the result of a fall. It's, it's the result of the fall of Adam and Eve. I mean, they're terrible. They taste bad. Their texture is horrible. I hate New York sports teams, all of them. Uh, I hate especially the St. Louis Cardinals as a Cubs fan. Just cannot stand them. 
You know, those are kind of some petty things. There are some things that I really hate, though. I hate injustice. Uh, I hate when I hear about human trafficking around the world. I hate when I hear about uh, leaders who take advantage and abuse their authority, which creates people in bondage and in slavery to things that are beyond their control. There are a lot of things that I really hate. And I'll bet there are things that you hate, too. But the truth is, none of those things, uh, we, we don't hate any of them as much as God hates pride. It says when we, In fact, when we have pride, we are setting ourselves in opposition to God. God can't stand it. Why is that? Probably because it's hard to give grace to somebody who doesn't think they need it. You know? But on the other side of that, it says that God gives grace to the humble. Some translations say that God gives favor, special favor, to humble people. God loves it when, when people come to Him with an attitude of humility, with an attitude of thinking of themselves less than they're thinking of others, thinking of Him. When I think about humility, I think about the story of Moses. You guys may remember it from the book of Exodus where God showed up to Moses in a burning bush and He let Moses know that, that He had chosen him to be the man who was going to deliver the, the children of God, God's people, out of slavery in Egypt. And that was something that lined up with Moses' passion and the gifts and abilities. But if you look at what Moses said to God in, in Exodus 3.11, he said, God, who am I to deliver your people from Egypt? Who am I to stand in front of Pharaoh? And, and look at what God says in response to him in verse, verse 12. He says, you know what, Moses, I am with you. And I think in that little exchange, we sometimes give Moses a hard time for that, for making excuses of why he couldn't do it. But I think we see a picture of the humility that Moses carried. Part of the reason why God chose Moses was his humble heart and his humble attitude. You know, it wasn't that Moses uh, didn't have a tremendous amount of courage. It wasn't that Moses didn't have a tremendous amount of compassion for lost people. It wasn't that Moses didn't have a tremendous amount of gifting and ability to do what God had called him to do. Early on in his life, we saw that he actually uh, took out some Egyptian men and women. But what we see in Moses is, is a, a humble understanding that the task that God had called him to do was way too big for him. And unless God showed up in power, there was no way he could do it on his own. See, that's what humility is all about. Humility is knowing that if I'm going to be successful as a team or in the areas that God's called me to, to live, maybe it's in a family, maybe it's in a career, maybe it's in a business that you're hoping to start up. If I'm going to be successful, I need God's grace and I need God's favor. So I need to align myself with what He's doing, align myself with His will in order to see Him come through on my behalf. So let me ask you, what is it that you're trying to build? What is it that you're trying to, to succeed at? And are you setting yourself up in a position where God's favor will be with you? Or are you setting yourself against God by coming after it with a prideful attitude and an arrogant heart? If we want to win, we're going to be part of a winning team. We've got to be willing to lose our arrogance. So we lose our arrogance, we lose our ego, lose our disguise. Let's keep going. Let's keep reading the scripture. The last thing that, that he says in verse 4 says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The last thing we have to be willing to lose is our agenda. We have to be willing to lose our agenda. He says, don't just be interested in your own affairs. Look to the interests of others. Circle the word look. Uh, the Greek word there is called skopos. 
And it's where we get the word scope, you know, that we use, obviously, for telescope, microscope. And, uh, and that's kind of the, the image that, that he says he wants us to have. He wants us to scope in. You know, think about the scope that you would have on a rifle when you're kind of locking in and zeroing in on a target. And he's saying, don't scope in on the faults of others. Scope in on the interests of others. Look out for the interests of others. Pay attention to the interests of your family. You know, in uh, our kids, in our marriage, you know, uh, we're supposed to, to really look out for those. Be considerate of others' interests. Could you name the top five interests of your spouse? Or may, could, you, could you name the top five interests of your children? Maybe your boss? You know, great, great tool to think about. Am I looking out for the interests of others? Because we can be so focused on our agenda, on what we need out of the relationship that we failed it to pay attention. Look what it says in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Saying, you know what, when we're looking out for our own agenda, it actually impacts our prayer life. It impacts our spiritual life. You know, when we're neglecting the, the interests of others in our, our family, our workplace, wherever it is, it, it, it actually has a negative impact on our prayer life and on our spiritual life. So, be considerate, be willing to check our own agenda at the door. Lose our ego, lose our disguise, lose our arrogance, and lose our agenda. Four attitudes that we have to be willing to give up and lose in order to really accomplish the mission that God has put us on. And I believe that if we do those things, and as we're becoming more like Christ, then we'll be, our lives will look like verse 5. Here's what it says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You know, it's, he's not just pulling these, these concepts out of the air, you know, pulling these principles out of a self-help book, you know, back in the day. He's saying, man, our example is Jesus. You know, in fact, these aren't things that we can just try harder at. You know, these aren't things that we can just muster up some more will and do a better job at. He says, no, man, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, which means we've got to, to be with him and abide in him. And out of that relationship will come these attitudes. Jesus was the example. Look at what Jesus was. He continues. Uh, He was incredibly generous. Verse 6 says, Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Jesus gave up his rights in order to to unify us with God. Jesus was totally real. In verse 7 it says, He made himself nothing. He wasn't a poser. He knew who he was. He had nothing to, to, to prove to impress others. He was totally humble. Verse 7b says he, he took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. He was considerate. You know, in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Did Jesus take a stand for things when he needs to? Absolutely. Was Jesus a pushover? No, not at all. But he was humble. He was considerate. He, he lost his very own life. You know, was that what was best for him? To die on a cross? No. But it was best for us. And the result of that was that God was able to unify an entire humanity with himself through the, the death of his son. That's what considerate people do. They ask, what's best for you? What's best for the kingdom? Resulted in incredible unity. You know, all these principles relate to selfishness, don't they? I mean, that's the root that's behind all of this, and all of us deal with it to some degree or another. Heard about a guy in our church this week that um, he was trying to loosen the grip of selfishness on his life, 
And so uh, the antidote to selfishness is generosity. You know, it's that we would be more giving, more generous, more uh, looking to others' needs. And so he decided that in order to, to really overcome the selfishness that was, was evident in his life, he was going to go on a 40-day journey of generosity. And so for 40 days, he made a commitment that every single day he was going to give something away. Whether it was money, it could be as big as, you know, a, a big financial commitment, or it could be as small as, you know, giving someone some encouragement. Uh, giving someone, uh, you know, an encouraging word or a compliment, whatever it might be. I thought, man, how cool is that? You know, what would happen if just at Seacoast, let's say we did seven days. I want to encourage you guys to go on a seven-day generosity challenge. What would that look like? You know, for us as a church, that you know, we've just come out of a fast as we started the year in January. What if we kind of jumped into February going on a seven-day generosity challenge where we just looked for opportunities to to give uh, to to a need that may maybe give to the church give give a compliment give something to be willing to give something and lose something as an individual that will help your team whatever it may be whether it's your family your church or your workplace to help them win i think that could be incredible you think god would honor that kind of a commitment to to just really become generous get real you know humble ourselves and think of others first I think it might make a difference in our families, and our church, every team that we're a part of. Did you know that that's the new normal when you become a believer? You know, when, it, when a believer acts selfishly, it's actually abnormal. You know, as we become disciples of Christ, we're supposed to become selfless. And so when a believer acts out in anger or when a believer, you know, carries this pride around or you know cuts in front of others to looks out for his own agenda that's abnormal that means one of two things is probably going on one you may not be a believer you may may not have ever accepted jesus christ and if that's you i'd encourage you to make that decision today we had someone come up right after the last service and uh, pray to receive christ and get baptized and love be honored to, to be a part of you on that journey or maybe you are a believer but there's something that's blocking the Holy Spirit's power from really being able to work and from the fruit of the Spirit to really be able to, to come out in our lives. So the new normal for Christians when we when we're kind of die with, with Christ and his death and, and have new life in him and his life is that we would be selfless, generous, loving individuals. So what if we made a commitment to act like Jesus? You know, and, and again, it's not about acting as much as it's about abiding, being with him, being in his word, allowing him to transform our lives and change us. Made a commitment to be more humble, to lose our pride, to think about others more than ourselves. I believe God could really transform this community with a church that united around some of these principles and ideas. Are you brave enough to accept Paul's challenge to be like Christ? Would you pray with me? God, I just thank you so much. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of so many of us, God. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that today would be a, a healthy reminder for us, God, to be willing to lose, Lord, as individuals, be willing to lose our pride, be willing to lose our arrogance, our ego, Lord, that we would be willing to lose our disguise and, and take the risk of being honest and real with one another in order to see your church and your work flourish in this community. So God, today, we just give our expectations and our attitudes to you. Lord, we acknowledge that we have no power to change on our own. Lord, so we give them to you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would work a miracle inside of each one of us today. Help us to be more like Jesus. God, help us to be less selfish 
and more generous. Lord, help us to be, do less posing and less faking, to be real and authentic with one another as we grow in our relationship with you. Help us to be less prideful and more humble. God, help us to check our agendas and give them up for yours, for others. God, we love you. We just pray that you continue to work out each of our salvation and each of our growth in you as we seek to serve you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.